1: Soccer Show and our weekend review. Qatar and Jim Radcliffe can officially yield as United have found new owners. It's the boys from Anfield. Liverpool looked resplendent and were absolutely flying. In fact, the host was so good that Bruno gave up trying. Elsewhere, things were looking good for Bournemouth. They had three points on a plate, but when facing Arsenal, you got to play up to minute 98. Barcelona are leading in Spain and Real Madrid are fading from the mix and Diego Simeone's side hit their opponents' for six and in MLS St. Louis debuted and there was a nice win for the Crewmen and LAFC made a good start with the help of the world's worst human. That's Sir everybody. My name's Ryan Bailey joining me today a man who enjoyed all of the soccer this weekend all of it every single game without <laughs> exception Taylor Rockwell what's up 7up?
2: Hello! (laughs) Yeah, uh, last weekend review started with me feeling good about DC United and Manchester United. Uh, This weekend is a different story. Galatasaray, top of the table, six points clear. Do we all want to talk about that? No, we don't? Mm -hmm, Okay, mm -hmm, fine. mm -hmm. We can talk about the other two, I guess. Life, she comes at you fast, Tata. Yeah, yeah, so it feels. Uh, And especially if you're Manchester
1: United, uh, in the second half, comes at you extra fast. Yeah. Taylor, um, we haven't discussed the TV show The Last of Us yet. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, or particularly maybe episode three. I'm just wondering which would be more emotionally draining for you, <laughs> watching that game again or, or watching that show. Uh, I have not seen that show, so busted. Uh, I've ruined your joke. Okay, we'll give it another few weeks before you settle into that one, because I'm sure you need to uh, the, the emotional you know this- bandwidth.
3: The start of the start of Up, the movie Up, that over ninety minutes yeah. essentially. Oh. Yay! That's what we're talking about. That's oh. what I've
2: heard. I will be honest. I did not watch this game live. Uh, we had a a family event, so we went to the family event. I saw the score while I was pushing my daughter on a swing, and thought that's going to be fun. And then I rewatched the entire thing, knowing the score, and it made for some very interesting viewing. I have to wow. say, you found the only way to make that
1: experience worse. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah,
2: yeah, it sucked. It sucked a lot.
1: Uh, I'm sorry. We're going to get into that one on my road Tate. but uh, joining us, a man who's now appeared on Apple TV and therefore is infinitely better than the last time we spoke, Joe Lowry. You're now a well-designed premium product. Congratulations.
4: They didn't. They didn't have any biscuits. I was under the impression that there would be biscuits, Ted Lasso style. No one sort of appeared spontaneously in the room that I was in recording to hand me a biscuit. I I don't know if that was just an oversight or or what happened exactly. No, I mean. I was on Extra Time last week. Extra Time is now on Apple TV in addition to, to other spots. So yes, technically, as I tweeted, I was on Apple TV. But again, still, no biscuits, no party. Um, sorry
1: to hear that, Joe. Maybe they can up their biscuit budget. But you did have the best background, I thought. Weeby and uh, and uh, Gas need to work on their backgrounds. Yours was um, feng shuied, I would describe it as.
4: Thank you. I take pride in my background. We don't get to see it for these shows because I sacrifice myself and my audio. Oh, I sacrifice myself and my background for the sake of audio quality and mm-hmm. this show because I'm a team player, uh, but yep. for something that's video side and for something that's not DSS, then uh, then we get a little loosier and goosier <laughs> with the rest of the stuff. Oh, dear. Oh Taylor is flipping me off, but I just said <laughs> I was being a team player for us and that I sacrificed to get better audio quality on this than I did on that, so I'm a little <laughs> yeah. confused. No. the, the route is complete this off-brand conversation happening
1: <laughs> let's round out the pack with a man who had a massive weekend he ate a pie Graham than hello
3: hello Ryan Bailey yes I certainly had a better weekend than I suspect Taylor did uh, because not only did Albion win a must-win match after trailing 2-1 I had possibly the best pie I've ever had at a match I know I know big words it was a straight 10 out of 10 for the mixed kebab pie On Saturday at Sterling Albion, Albion Rovers. A lot of Albions in that sentence there. And Ryan, your pie and mash and mushy peas also look very good. Um, And for anyone who wants to see Ryan and and I eat pies on camera, because uh, (laughs) who doesn't want to see that? (laughs) You can subscribe to the TSS Patreon. We both put videos up there. Ryan, how was your pie experience at the weekend? Your first ever, I couldn't believe this when you told me, your first ever football match pie experience. Is that correct?
1: I, it was. I'm not generally a pie guy. I don't love pastry, uh, you know, wasted waste of calories in my opinion. But it, I made a massive exception to this one, Graham, because uh, hashtag content. And we made uh, some, <laughs> some videos, as you say, this weekend for our respective soccer trips. TotalSoccerShow.com. Slash, no, Patreon.com slash TotalSoccerShow is the one you want to go to to see those for this. Uh, exceptionally niche content of watching two grown men eat pies mm. at football stadiums. Uh, but I, I had a very good time. I Rock can't out. believe I'm going to say this. Can we talk about my team losing 7-0, please? Or do we have
2: to go longer? <laughs> on the pies. <laughs>
3: definitely longer on the on the pies and, and, and on Wimbledon in general to be honest just to, just to ra- wrap a bow on this Ryan Wimbledon right that stadium looks cracking you've got a nice bar there food trucks that sell great pies your team seems to be terrible you play in Hummel kits you're fan owned you're sponsored by football manager why don't I support AFC Wimbledon is the question that I have
1: it's a very good point it's a very good point they are in a different country to you however Graham ah, there's, yes, a, of course. there's an option there Um, yeah but thank you for your kind words about our stadium and our Hummel Kits, which will soon be Umbro, apparently. Um, yeah, if you'd like to see more of that, dear listener... Patreon.com slash TotalSoccerShow. But for now, why don't we get into the action? Let's start off with Galatasaray. Let's start off with Liverpool 7, Man United nil, <laughs> equaling Man United's uh, heaviest ever defeat, dating back to 1931. Unbelievable. Goodness me. Braces for Gakpo, Nunez and Soller. And this one with Firmino adding a seventh when United <laughs> had apparently completely given up at that point. Uh, Most becoming the highest Premier League goal scorer for Liverpool in the process. Taylor... As we, as we said at the start of the show, going from winning a trophy at Wembley last weekend and Ten Hag era has arrived, I believe Manchester United tweeted not long after, going from that to utter capitulation, capitulation at the hands of the heaviest rivals from down the M62. That's a humbling process, Taylor.
2: Ryan, you cut out from most of that. I'm assuming you're asking about Dortmund-Leipzig. I thought it was a really interesting game from start <laughs> to finish, the way Dortmund were able to hold on. No, we want to talk about Manchester United first, I'm guessing. is that, I wanted to see how long I could keep that going before somebody jumped in. Uh, but then I realized that would be terrible audio. Yeah. I yeah, wanted to see how long you go on it. I was leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty pretty, bad, turns out, 7-0. Uh, really... Not just the scoreline, because I think when I first saw the score, I assumed it was going to be like the Arsenal-Bournemouth game. I thought United would concede in the 16th second, and then away we would go. Uh, To see how they sort of did execute the game plan, did make some interesting adjustments or changes to the team for that first half. It was so telling then the way that second half played out and how quickly I think heads were turned, how quickly focus was lost, and really how efficient and effective Liverpool were from start to finish. I think Manchester United deliberately trying to slow the game down, trying to frustrate, trying to just draw things out, draw interactions out, make things take longer. And I think it worked for a good chunk of that first half. Liverpool didn't take the bait played through it, uh, executed their game plan really well. I'm sure we'll talk about some of the tactical wrinkles in there as well. But I thought it was just Liverpool, I think, scenting blood in the water and then really going for it. And for Manchester United, I think it was, to some extent, a rude awakening for a a team that has already had two rude awakenings this season. Uh, One from Manchester City, one from Bournemouth. It's a strange thing that seems to keep happening with this team. Uh, And I think you saw in the past couple of weeks some of the wor- or some of the best from some of these players and I think in this game you saw collectively the worst from them
1: definitely so so Joe answer me this how does a team go from knocking Barcelona out of Europe <laughs> and a trophy against let's admit not the not the strongest Newcastle opposition in that game but how do you go from that high and this run of form to that kind of second half performance in
4: particular Soccer is such a weird game, Ryan. That hmm. that is my actual answer. Maybe there's a reality here where Manchester United woke up and, and thought they were Southampton for a, a few days. I think I don't know why every Premier League season I feel like there's just one random game that I check FotMob and it's like 7-0, 8-0, 9-0 and it's always Southampton losing that game. Uh, this time it <laughs> Not was time, Manchester baby. United. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not this time. So this time it was Manchester United. Uh, Ryan, the truth is, like, it, this is this is a crazy occurrence. Anytime that somebody scores a touchdown in an extra point, like something has gone very, very wrong, or at least has been very, very weird. The reality here for Liverpool is they got crazy hot in this game. They took a, a good number of shots, but they had eight shots on target, and seven of them hit the back of the net. That is That just does not happen in this sport. That absolutely does not happen. There's a reason why we see one or, or two of these games a season over, you know, however many stinking games there are in a Premier League season, right? So it's it's wild that all of this came together. The other factor is here, I feel like when you sense the tie turning so strongly if you're Manchester United, right? The first half is, I think, relatively even. Cody Gakpo gets a nice goal before halftime, but it felt to me like Manchester United were still in this thing. So the first 45 minutes were, were mostly fine. Not perfect, but mostly fine. Then you get into the second half, and that's where things start to unravel. And when they do start to unravel, I think as a player, it is so hard to gain... To regain any sort of composure and momentum, like like it, it was a cascading effect here for for Liverpool and for Manchester United as they kept watching balls hit the back of the net. It's so hard to come back from that when you're just yeah. so broken in those moments. It's not a it's not a full and complete answer to your question, Ryan. But the truth is, this sport is is very very weird, can change very quickly, and Manchester United looked mentally defeated mm. and understandably so in the second half.
3: Yeah, they, they had their, their heads scrambled in this match. There was a 10-minute period around the time Liverpool scored their 6th and 7th, where you could see quite clearly, I mean, it happened before then, but... At that point, you could, you could see clearly that players were losing their composure, losing their heads a little bit. The, the concentration had completely gone. I actually wondered if Bruno Fernandes was crying at one point. Did anyone else have that he, kind of? Did you see is there tears asked, in his eyes? Did you
2: see he asked to be substituted? I, 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 did, I missed yeah. that on the broadcast, but
1: yeah, him him demanding to
2: know why he hadn't been subbed was a look. He's a
1: professional soccer player, Taylor, who asked to be substituted in a major Premier League game. But just, then, just
3: so the just to—I don't even know if I am defending Bruno Fernandez. Just to play devil's advocate for a little bit, he did have a really bad game in mm-hmm. here. And if and if he is genuinely saying I am playing well and I think someone else will play better than me, maybe that's a—I mean I, I don't know if I am doing too so much uh, heavy lifting <laughs> so there weird. for Brent, Bruno Fernandez, <laughs> who obviously has a history of being a little bit petulant. But um, yeah, I thought some of the. Gary Neville in the broadcast here in the UK saying, you know, Bruno Fernandes was a disgrace and, you know, shouldn't play for Man United again. I don't know. I, I, I can't really go that far yeah. on it. Um, I, I, I do think, though, Ten Hag probably has some repair work to do um, in terms of the mentality because huh. until this match, United's mentality as a team had been so strong and it, is, it completely crumbled in the second half. So we've seen in the past that this group of United players, and I know players like Martinez and Casemiro and Varane have made a difference in this respect. But generally speaking, it's still the same group that over the last couple of seasons under Rania and Solskjaer, when they had a bad result like this, they would enter a spiral and it would take them a long time to get out of it. I think the next week is going to be crucial for them to avoid that. I think Manchester United under Ten Hag... I personally think this is an anomaly. Not to say they didn't play badly. They deserve to lose. They deserve yeah. to lose comfortably. But nonetheless, I do think when we look back at the end of the season, this will be an anomaly and they will pick it back up again. Uh, a couple things there. I
2: do want to talk about Liverpool. I don't want this to just be uh, what, what Manchester United got wrong. But I think we have to spend a little more time on that one. Uh, and I watched this one. I watched the the UK feed, I think, which was what uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher doing color Correct. comments for this one. And I think when it was 6-0... Gary Neville said something like close or like the uh, the preamble to what Graham was saying of you know it's six 0 these results happen freak results occur it's about picking the team back up I don't think you have to do any sort of real like problem solving decision making unless it gets worse and I think literally as he said <laughs> that they turned the ball over Liverpool scored and I'm pretty sure Jamie Carragher had to leave the mic he was laughing so hard oh you know like, you, you could
3: hear him you yeah could you could hear, hear him him like
2: <laughs> <laughs> like in the background it was very mischievous jamie That was a good uh, scouse
1: laugh impression there taylor i like
2: that. uh i've heard him do it a lot uh it's how he bounces out uh michael richards uh but <laughs> I, I think it was a very interesting moment that gary neville i think still trying to salvage something from this game and trying to downplay it a little bit uh i think much has been made of the the fixture differences i think united have played five more games than liverpool this season and so that seems to be the fan sentiment at least seems to be this game was coming they're all very tired the, the drop-off in quality from the first 11 to the second 11 is so big that you can't really rotate, and you saw problems with that uh, on the day. I don't really have huge problems with like the game itself. I mean, I don't love being humiliated 7-0 and getting all of the messages I got yesterday. Uh, deservedly so, though. But, but what, I, what I do have a problem with is just some of the lack of effort, some of the players losing their their heads, because this felt like a team that had found form, And just found good goal scoring ability, found a good way to play, found a good way to attack with confidence. But I think also you have to judge a team by how they respond to adversity and how they respond to setbacks. And this team felt completely ill equipped to handle the setbacks. And I look at, like, when they make the changes, uh, McTominay and uh, Garnacho come on, it's Fred and Veghorst to come off. I think that probably should have been Anthony and Bruno. I think at that point, the third goal is Bruno gives the ball away, Anthony doesn't track back, no one really works that hard off the ball. And that was pretty par for the course for Manchester United, that when they lost the ball, especially as they were 3-0 and four down, not a lot of work to get it back, not a lot of effort to make those runs back, to make those covering runs. And you contrast it with the first half, where they worked so hard off the ball to frustrate Liverpool and really limit their chances and then create their own. It was just a team for me that that lost their heart and maybe that is fatigue, maybe it is just a freak result and they'll they'll get it back and things will be all right. But I, I don't think you can look at this team as anything other than a team fighting for the top four until we see them sort of respond to this setback and how they deal with it for Liverpool a team that uh, I felt like maybe the season was was done for a little bit to see how they played in this game Cody Gakpo chief among them the way he took up different positions created overloads found space caused problems I thought this was an exceptional performance I think it was sort of right place right time for them for sure
3: yeah, I mean Cody Gakpo just adhering to the unavoidable narrative that he was always going to score in this match, given the you know, Manchester United nearly signed him in January. It felt like that was always going to happen. But uh, Taylor, I agree. This is this was a very good performance by him. Probably the best performance I've seen from him for Liverpool. And there, there have actually been quite a, a good number of performances from him recently where you can see he's starting to to settle into the team. Um I thought It was quite apt that he produced this performance in the week that Roberto Firmino uh, confirmed, or it was confirmed, that he will be leaving... Liverpool at the end of the season, and there was some good Firmino stuff in this game from Gakpo. He was dropping deep. He was creating space for Salah and Nunes. He was carrying the ball through the middle. He was making late runs into the box. All that stuff, obviously, very Roberto Firmino. But then the first goal he scored was just classic Cody Gakpo as well, where he attacks that left half, half space and gets the shot away. And that's where maybe he brings some another dimension that you, you wouldn't really see Firmino doing that very often. So I think when you look at that Liverpool front three, of Nunez, Gakpo, and Salah, that feels like something that Klopp now has in place to build around. I still think the midfield was excellent in this game for Liverpool. I thought Harvey Elliott Elliott was was brilliant. I questioned whether Bacetic should be starting this game. I didn't like that from from before the kickoff. Obviously, I was wrong in that. Fabinho had a good game as well. Even in the first half, I thought Rashford... And Luke Shaw getting up the left side and even Dallow on the right side kind of made Liverpool look vulnerable in quick transition moments. There was a couple of times when Rashford got the better of Van Dijk in a foot race, which wouldn't have happened, you know, two, three seasons ago. So the the rest of this Liverpool team is still a work in progress, but we saw the full potential of, of their attacking ability in this match.
1: Joe, Joe it's, it's, um, it's tempting to make uh, some hot takes after a performance like this for both teams, in fact. But for, for Liverpool's sake, can... Can we say this will be a catalyst, a turning point for them? I've seen lots of uh, talk of, you know, this, uh, this sarlo Nunez-Gakpo front three, uh, Klopp v2. Do we think that this will inspire maybe a push for the Champions League now?
4: I think it it will be a turning point. I think, though, that Liverpool had already been turning in that direction. This is just the biggest landmark in that process. So really good form from them recently in the Premier League. Four wins, one draw in their last five games. Two-nil win over Everton. Two-nil win over Newcastle. 0-nil draw with Crystal Palace. Two-nil win over Wolves. And a 7-nil win now over Manchester United. That's a good string of results for a Liverpool team that was down in mid-table at some point earlier this season. Between that, Ryan, and I know we kind of joked about this after the Champions League, uh, the first leg of the round of 16, but Liverpool losing 5-2 to Real Madrid in that game, I, I still think is probably one of the best things that could happen for their ability to get back to the Champions League next season if we assume that Liverpool probably aren't going to get back into that tie, which, I mean, after a 7-0 win, like, who knows? I'm not willing to fully rule yeah, it out, Ra- but it real is. Real
3: Madrid did not enjoy watching this match. <laughs> no, they didn't. They
4: didn't. But it's it's unlikely that Liverpool clawed their way back. Not impossible. We've seen them do some crazy stuff in the Champions League before. But I will say the fact that they're going to be able to focus on the Premier League is a real asset yeah. for them. I know you lose out on revenue by being out of the Champions League, so I don't know if it's actually, like, the best outcome for their season but I would assume getting back in next season, which is what I expect them to do at this point. They're in fifth right now. They've got time to climb, and they are in better form than at least a couple of the teams above them. I, I think Liverpool are in a good spot.
2: I, I would agree with with Joe on a couple of things there. First of all, I think they're in a very good spot. I think because, just what I was saying earlier, I think f- fewer games at this point, especially with their squad being as it is, I think just allows them to rest some players, allows them to focus players on the competitions they need to. And I think we'll, we'll see... A, a very strong close to the season from Liverpool. But, but I also agree with Joe that I think it had been turning because I don't think you can get this result without things being on the right path, on the right trajectory. And even just looking in the first 15 minutes or so, again, watching this knowing the results was really interesting because expecting this game to be 3-0 at halftime and, and knowing that it was only 1-0, but seeing the way Liverpool played and the way they never lost that spirit I think uh, at times against Real Madrid even when they were up Virgil van Dijk would show his frustration and like be visibly annoyed by something that had happened and you would see just more arguments more conversations more confusion about what was expected and in this game I saw Fabinho Virgil van Dijk and uh who's the uh uh who's the other center back Konate Konate constantly like, letting people know, having words with people, but not having back and forth, not having frustration conversations, just like, yo, none of that, next, and moving on. And it just felt like it was very, everybody on the same track, everybody pulling in the same direction. And I yeah. think then Cody Gakpo, just adding that little spice, at times I saw him in there and thought, like, Liverpool on a four four two Because he would just move in, essentially, and be another midfielder. He would go out wide and be a left midfielder as needed. And then Opened up that space for Liverpool to attack directly. And then even for that, uh, for the opening goal, I think gets a little bit of coaching from Andy Robertson, who cuts it back and then sort of tells him where to run as he passes the ball. But it's still Liverpool making things happen. uh, And I think sort of capitalizing on Manchester United's reactivity a little bit
3: and i'm glad you mentioned Andy Robertson there taylor because i thought course. he had an excellent game um andy robertson no I, I would i always um, i'm kind of more pro kieran tierney than andy robertson but when you see him playing like this you you kind of are reminded he is one of the best players in his position in, in in europe and i thought the way that andy robertson was playing in this match there's a really good there's a really good tifo video by john mckenzie on this match um which was published yesterday and he highlights, and he, he does a better job of walking you through this than I can. But he highlights how there's a tactical weakness in, in Ten Hag's setup where Man would go man for man out of possession, um, with the exception of the centre forward who they double up on. And that leaves yeah. a, a man free. And in this match, it was most frequently Robertson because it tends to be a fullback, the, the, the free man. And, and so Liverpool recognised this and they kept using, whether it was Robertson on the left when he was the free man, free man or Trent on the right side, they kept on using those players to drive into space. And Manchester United didn't really have a solution for that. The whole match, Robertson in particular, just continually drove into that half space where he could either pop off a pass to, to Gakpo like he did for the goal, or he could go around the outside himself and get a ball in. Manchester United never dealt with that at, at, at all in the whole match.
4: Yeah, one wow. other note on the on the pressing structure for Manchester United. One thing that I, I do like, and it didn't really work in this game, but something that I thought was interesting from Ten Hag was shifting Veghorst down to the number yeah. 10 spot. Then you had Bruno go out to the left, and then you had Marcus Rashford up top and basically trying to maximize the amount of really good pressure you get from your front two. Veghorst works really hard out of possession. Rashford works hard and has speed and athleticism in a way that Bruno Fernandes just doesn't. So I'm not saying it worked in this game, but very clearly did not, especially in the second half. But Manchester United did have some good moments here, and taking full advantage of Weghorst, you know, in the time that you have him I think makes a lot of sense, and that can probably be a better and more effective structure at times against other teams in the league. So
2: final thing for me would just be, uh, with everything Mick Graham and Joe have just said there, is you could see the intensity of the way Manchester United were trying to defend, but also attack in that first half. And uh, Eric Ten Hag afterward uh, had a few different things to say about this result. One of them, uh, paraphrasing, was basically, uh, like, we have to talk about this result. When you are, like, like, making mistakes and doing things that you are not supposed to do, it becomes a problem. And I think he's talking about how if you get... Like beaten because of a worldie, if you get beaten because of a fluke, oh well. But in this game, especially after they're 2-0 down, I talked about it earlier, but it's Bruno Fernandez. like, you cannot give the ball away centrally. And he goes for a pass in Liverpool's box, admittedly, but it's still a pass straight to Jordan Henderson, as United have overcommitted numbers, and it's I think 13 seconds later, they have scored from that. That's how rapid fire Liverpool can be. And as the game goes on, it's turnovers in the middle of the pitch. It's silly giveaways. It's Luke Shaw kicking it into his own player and sort of centering it for a Liverpool player. It's very, very, very ineffective play for Manchester United. Again, getting to the idea that they lost their heads a little bit. But I think also they just lost instruction. And it shows you as well how deadly this Liverpool team can be. That if you... Play into their hands and turn the ball over where they want you to. They will make you pay, and maybe they will
4: make you pay seven times. We can we can leave this game and, and let Taylor sort of recover emotionally. One quick step no. though, Taylor, to make you feel better. <laughs> I believe, I believe Chelsea have only scored seven goals in the Premier League total since uh, the, the Premier League resumed after the World Cup break. So, I mean, at least Manchester United have scored more than seven goals, <laughs> seven goals so far in this next chunk of the season. I could not believe that stat when I read it. I went back through just now, and I, I think it's true. Uh, hopefully Thanks, that makes know. at least Manchester United fans feel a <laughs> yeah. tiny bit better.
3: It does I, not. I just <laughs> I just don't understand why my United weren't just better. Taylor, like you told our teams to be better <laughs> last week, right? Just be better. But did you just think of that? Yeah,
1: just better well, they,
2: they didn't hear my instructions, guys. If they had listened to my oh, instructions, they they would have done exactly what I asked them to do, which is not lose 7-0 ah, and right, be better okay. at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is why we're better than the coaches in major sports. There's a chance that all of this is deserved.
2: There's a chance that all of this is deserved. Maybe, just maybe I shouldn't have (laughs) begun with that level of arrogance.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go around the rest of the Premier League, look around the rest of Europe, MLS, and much, much more. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Elsewhere in the Premier League, uh, talk about a few teams who didn't concede seven goals (laughs) this weekend. Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2. Bournemouth had a 2-0 lead in this one. They scored straight from kickoff. 9.11 seconds. Disrespectful, 9.11 seconds. The most dangerous lead, though, 2-0, in my opinion, of course. Uh, A 98th-minute winner, Graham, from Reese Nelson in this one. Nice finish as well. Um, The biggest... Moment of the season, arguably, for Arsenal here, which uh, I know we're a US-centric podcast, but it's worth noting that this game was not broadcast in the UK. (laughs) So we, as American soccer fans, can be lucky that we get to watch every single Premier League game as much as we want. Not the case in the domestic market.
3: Yeah, it feels weird that some of the biggest moments of the Premier League season aren't available to watch on TV. I thought after the COVID pandemic, where all the games were on TV, because obviously you couldn't go to the games, that would maybe change, but nothing has changed at all. So I was restricted to highlights for for this match. Um, I've said this at least twice about matches Arsenal have played in recent weeks, but this feels like another one of those matches that if Arsenal go all the way and win the title, we'll look back at. As an important moment, I particularly enjoyed the scene after the winning goal at the Emirates, which was like a Renaissance painting. Yeah, it was. You had uh, three or four Bournemouth players on the ground. <laughs> the, the other players had like their heads in their hands. Odegaard is—he's—I think he takes the corner. He is on his back in the far in, in the top corner of the picture, celebrating like a tennis player winning a uh, winning a Grand Slam tournament. I think Gabriel looks like he might be crying. Uh, Ru- uh, Reese Nelson doesn't know... I almost said Ryan Nelson. Do you know play for Blackburn Rovers? That would have been a very different scene. <laughs> very different sort of player. Reese Nelson himself, he doesn't know what to do and kind of kicks the corner flag as he's just like running around. There doesn't seem to be any players around him to celebrate because yeah. they're basically just all on the floor. Um, so yeah, it was it was a pretty incredible moment. Um, a very good finish with his weak foot. And I, and I think one of the biggest positives for Arsenal out of this game, besides the fact that they come back from 2-0 down to get three points... But I think the biggest positive is th- their squad depth was was uh, was the difference here. You know, all three players that came off the bench in this match, or rather three of the four that come off the bench, contribute to the box score. So Smith-Rowe contributes an assist, Ben White scores the equaliser, then Reece Nelson scores the winner. And a number of times over the course of the season, we have said that maybe Arsenal don't have the depth of certainly City or maybe even Liverpool or Manchester United. I think they do have more depth than people give them credit for. I think the January transfer window has helped in that regard with players like Leandro Trossard. And as I say, that was one of the things that that made the difference here.
1: Did indeed. Uh, Man City 2, Newcastle 0 in the Nation State Derby on Saturday morning as well. (laughs) Joe, Joe, Phil Foden is ridiculous at soccer. I, just, I so much enjoy it. He got a good goal in this one, but his performance in general, his touch, I think he's got the best touch of any professional soccer player. Just some of the ways he's bringing the ball down. It, it just He's absolutely sublime. So if I was going to draw a flow chart, Joe, um, for Man City, it would say, does
4: Phil Foden have the ball? Yes. Good. No. Give the ball to Phil Foden. <laughs> I like that idea a lot, Ryan. I think you might have a future in this whole flowchart business. Um, Thanks. I, I enjoyed Phil Foden as well. I almost always enjoy Phil Foden. I think it's been interesting this year for City to see that he hasn't really had that big of a role, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, been Jack exactly. Grealish getting a lot more of those minutes, and they both start in this game, which I thought was, was notable. I, one of the reasons why we haven't seen Foden so much, at least in my view, is because of Holland. Right? Holland is a guy that requires your team. We've talked about this a bunch this year to control. Right? They they essentially need to try to find another player in possession to get like you know one one tenth from one ninth from every other outfield player other than Holland extra to combine to make this you know invisible extra player to give them the control that Pep Guardiola wants, and it's difficult to do that when. You have Erling Holland in the team, and, and maybe you have someone like Phil Foden who has a great touch, but is maybe not always at his best. Dropping in, he wants to run in behind. He wants to do some some other classic wingery kind of stuff. Not that he can't do the other things, but I did like that we saw Phil Foden in this game. I did like that it it worked as well for City getting this win. They were the better team. Didn't really give Newcastle much. They still had that control that Pep Guardiola really craves so much of the time so I'm glad it worked out I hope we see more of Phil Foden this season in general a good win for City who have some ground to make up in the table I mean five points mm. back on Arsenal they were waiting I mean and, and desperately hoping obviously that that Bournemouth would pull it out against Arsenal but uh, still a good result for City.
1: Indeed Bournemouth doing them no favours there as you say uh, Wolves won Tottenham 0 Adama Troyogram with the rare side foot pass onto the crossbar and in goal. <laughs>
3: It was such a strange finish. I mean, there is nothing orthodox about that man at all. As 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 a football player, I I I love him. You know, everything from the, just the lightning pace to the fact that he still like oils up his uh his his arms before before playing. He's a bizarre bizarre player. But yes, a very nice finish. Not going so well for Tottenham, no. of course. Back to back one 0 defeats. They went went out, went out. Excuse me, of the FA Cup during the week to uh, Sheffield United. Then they lose this one. I have no idea how they are still in the top four because it <laughs> seems like Spurs have had a have had a bad, season, bad to mediocre season, and yet they are. I mean, if they finish in the top four, I still would say that's a that's a successful season for them for where Spurs are right now. So a very very weird season for them so far.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I had that same thought over the weekend looking at the table. Uh, Brighton four, West Ham nil. Brighton uh, four points ahead of Chelsea now which is interesting reading for a certain manager. Um Brighton very much gunning for Europe at the moment and on that note Chelsea 1 leads nil. The pressure slightly easing on Graham Potter uh, in this game. Wesley for final with the header. Uh, plenty of pressure on Leeds, though, at the moment, so hmm, interesting times at both clubs. Why don't we move to the Bundesliga, where on Friday we had Borussia Dortmund winning 2-1 over Eintracht. Leipzig, uh, Marco Reus winning a penalty, and Emre Champ with the other goal for Dortmund, Emma Forsberg with the consolation. Taylor, <clears throat> I had this one pinned down as a Leipzig away win. I think they had the better of the recent head-to-head. I felt like Dortmund are in that period where they're playing very well, but they can see they're in the title race that so they need to give some more space to buy Munich to pull away, which is kind of they are going to wake up, is what you mean. They're going
3: <laughs> to yeah. wake up and realize where they are yeah. any minute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but uh,
2: no, they got a win. Th- this this is a game I think they they at the very least draw in seasons past. Just looking at the table, because Union, uh, draw they draw this weekend, so now there, there is this gap opening up. And I think previously, in my mind, it would have been Dortmund and Leipzig drawing, so they're all sort of in this second-tier pack, but Bayern continued to pull away. It's why I was really excited to see Borussia Dortmund hold on for the win in this game. A little frustrated, as a neutral, that they had to hold on at points because I felt like they were very dominant and then I think made that decision of, we're 2-0 up, we're going to stay a little bit deeper, we're going to stay a little bit more conservative, and they sort of invited Leipzig in. And I think, to their credit, Leipzig made made some changes at halftime, were much more aggressive in the second half. But that aside, I thought it was a very... Compelling performance from Dortmund, and I think one that they will continue to draw confidence from because of the way they attacked, the way they defended for large chunks of this game, it really denied... Much of anything to Leipzig. Uh, Dortmund really just like like blocking the middle, keeping numbers tight, uh, not letting gaps open up. They did a good job of knowing who was supposed to like track the outside runs and when to go, when not to go. And so you never had anybody over committing. You never had anybody failing to get there in time or over pursuing or anything like that. Uh, and then when Dortmund won the ball back, again, just rapid efficiency in the way they attacked and how they attacked in the players that they played through to make that happen. I thought Haller's hold-up play was excellent in this game yeah. once again. Um, and I thought so much of the off-the-ball movement as well, the way they were able to sort of capitalize on Holler dropping in by making those vertical runs, uh, I think just kept catching out. Uh, Leipzig and kept causing problems, I think, three or four times. They just go vertical, they go direct, and they create something inside the first 25 minutes. So I think Dortmund got their attacking game plan right got their defensive game plan pretty much mostly right and they got the win for it
4: yeah hollers hold up play you mentioned there taylor i mean it's it's key it's key to a goal sequence here a a move that gets them closer to goal i mean it's great and we've talked about this before it's great just to see him back on the field after dealing with testicular cancer and all of those Mm -hmm. things it's it's still amazing every time we get to see this guy play and i thought he was really good in this match as well as were dormant for the vast majority of it, I totally agree with the sentiment that, that Graham and Taylor got out earlier. You know, Dortmund it feels like we're waiting for them to collapse because that's kind of what they always do. And I I still would be very shocked if this team manages to pull above Bayern Munich over the next couple of months and gets gets into that, that first spot in the table. But, I mean, what a performance from them. They look tactically flexible. They look engaged defensively. Yeah, there's that one moment that Forsberg ends up capitalizing on for Leipzig in the 74th minute. That's against Dortmund's low block. But I thought they managed this game pretty well. Up 2-0 at halftime, they go into the second half, they realize we don't need to be on the front foot, we don't need to expose ourselves. Let's take away the transitions that Leipzig like so much and make their lives really difficult. And it, it worked for them. It was maybe a little closer than they wanted it to be at the end. But in general, I thought a strong and illustrative performance of what this Dortmund team is right now.
3: Yeah, and is that not a big difference for this Dortmund team is to have the awareness to do that in the second half and then the ability to actually um, you know, execute that game plan? Because we all know that Dortmund are, are dangerous in, in attack, but they have had defensive problems for a long time. And even going back to the first half of this season, there were real calamities. They, they were soft as, 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 as kind of the reputation that they had. In their last match before the... Uh, the, the six month Bundesliga break for the World Cup, uh, Dortmund <laughs> conceded four to 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 Gladbach, and then when they came back from that break, they conceded three to, to Augsburg as as well. Now they've conceded just two goals in five games, and in this match, they they even when things were getting a little bit frayed towards the end, you still had players like Nico Schlotterbeck celebrating clearances yeah. like like a goal and and the goalkeeper um who's uh, Meyer um who comes in for this game kind of really celebrating it full time and it, it just feels like they've got a bit of momentum they've got a bit of steel in that team right now uh Andy Brassel's column for the Guardian today is on Dortmund winning this match and the turnaround in their season in general and there's some interesting stuff in there about how Enri Chan and Marco Royce. And uh, Mats Hummels, they all had kind of like extensive chats with Terzic during the winter training camp. And, training camp, and I think you can see in their performances and the leadership, the outward leadership from those senior players now that they are a, they are a stronger team. For that, there was also a, an interesting detail in that column about Matthias Sammer apparently uh, having several phone calls a week with Edin uh, Terzic which kind of gives the impression of like a shadow manager in the, in the background for anyone who doesn't know Matthias Sammer is a, a former Bundesliga title winning coach with Dortmund in, in the 90s so that's that's quite interesting but no, wh- whoever is calling the shots at Dortmund right now they are they are doing a good job and they seem like a much stronger team now than they were in the first half of the season
1: They do indeed Taylor it's, uh, it's all thumbs up at Dortmund at the moment they got the opportunity to take out Chelsea in a couple of days time mm-hmm. in the Champions League and they haven't rollercoastered and messed it up in the league in a while. I know. And, and to Graham's
2: point, like you have Meyer come in for this game because Cobell picks up an injury and then he performs well and helps get the win. You have Slaughterback brought in in the summer and he... Clears one off the line with his, I think, shoulder at the very end of the game. Meyer makes a save at the very end of the game to preserve this win. And so you're getting contributions from players that they didn't have previously or they might not have gotten contributions from. Emre Jean had the best game I've seen him play in a very long time, and he's been playing well. So it's not to say that he just had a, had a one-off, but I thought he was all over the place, not just b- b- because of the goal, but he does so much on the defensive side of the ball, so much shielding of that back line. Uh, I really enjoyed this game, even if I was very confused in the beginning that Lutz van den is still doing commentary for the Bundesliga. Am I the mm-hmm. only one who finds this odd? I guess it's Lutz, so Lutz is going to do Lutz things, but to have a sporting director be like, yeah, I got Sundays free, it's just, or Saturday's free, it's, <laughs> it, it just feels a little strange to me. Maybe it's scouting? I mean, he. it could be. It's, that's how they got Berkey, right? You never know. So yeah. may, maybe it is him just uh, finding this underrepresented, underwatched league called the Bundesliga, <laughs> knowing that nobody could possibly be scouting it. Yeah. I'll have mm-hmm. a leg up.
1: Unearthing some diamonds in the first 11s of Dortmund and Leipzig. He's
3: looking for more players that can back pass the ball to some of yeah, players. Yeah, yeah he right, is, yeah. Graham. <laughs> yeah.
1: More on that later. By the way, Graham, I think <laughs> the Matthias Sammer conversations were mainly about how England should have won Euro 96. Of course. very much being a part of the Germany t- I think he got player <sighs> of the tournament, uh, did Sammer, in that one. But uh, That was for the team that actually won Euro 96, yes, Germany. Moving on to the (laughs) uh, Bundesliga. Stuttgart uh, were beaten 2-1 by Bayern Munich. uh, Bayern and Dortmund both on 49 points after this weekend. We definitely have a title race in the Bundesliga. Maybe not so much in Spain, though, with some interesting results there. Barcelona getting a 1-0 win over Valencia. Rafinha with the header there. Uh, Barcelona playing with 10 men for the last half an hour of this one. They are nine points clear after Real Madrid... Uh, were held goalless at Batiste. So maybe, Graham, they are quaking in their boots thinking of a Liverpool side who, uh, who got seven this weekend.
3: Yeah, La Liga is is kind of funny at the moment. Um I think Real Madrid have kind of given up on on the on the title race. There doesn't seem to be much energy around them at the moment. They're struggling to score goals and then the Champions League comes around and they knock five past Liverpool at Anfield. So it very much feels like that is where their focus is. Weirdly, the Copa del Rey game last Thursday night as well against Barcelona, it felt like they there wasn't much focus to their performance either. So they're a strange team to watch at the moment and to be honest, Barcelona are kind of a strange team to watch at the moment. Um, they're not playing that well right now. They lost Al Maria last weekend, which Xavi called their worst performance with him as manager so far. Um, they did beat Real Madrid during the week, as I say, but they were underwhelming once again against Valencia at the weekend. They weren't helped by Ron- Ronald Araujo getting sent off on the hour mark. But by the end of it, it felt like Barcelona were holding on a bit. And I've said this before on the show this has been a bit of a trend for Barcelona this season where even though they have this excellent defensive record in La Liga, there's been at least five matches this season in recent memory where they have been holding on for dear life at, at the end. And a better team, I think, on 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 Saturday at the weekend would have would have taken advantage of that. They were very fortunate not to concede a penalty late on when Kessier looked to have tripped Fran, Fran Perez. And if you watch the replay, the referee puts his whistle to his mouth and then doesn't blow, so I think the referee was conflicted On that one, Um, I mean, I should mention that Lewandowski was missing and there was no Pedri and Gavi either. So that's obviously a big caveat for how Barcelona are playing right now, taking those three out. The team makes a big difference, as you would expect. But uh, the two players who came in in the attack were, were Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres. And one of the highlights in this match is that those two players squabbling over a penalty kick, deciding amongst them who was going to take the penalty kick. Ferran Torres wins that battle and then misses Um, so I can't imagine Ansu Fati was very pleased about that Um, and as I say once you take Lewandowski out this team and Pedri and Gavi that feels like they are a very different side
1: Indeed Uh, biggest win in the Bundesliga a team who almost scored seven goals Atletico Madrid six Sevilla one Atletico going into third in La Liga with this one uh, Taylor, this was an enjoyable performance. Uh, Anton yeah. Griezmann's goal for 3-1 was superb. I did enjoy, I think it was Griezmann who made the pass to Morata for the fifth goal, that looping pass into the box, uh, the assist, which is the basically the pass I, I try and rec-league every single game and maybe pull off <laughs> 20% of the time. I mean, good numbers for you, my friend. Good Thanks.
3: numbers. No, uh, 20%, that would actually be exceptional numbers. That'd be like Lionel Messi numbers if you're pulling off that pass one out of five times. <laughs> I meant 2%.
2: Ryan Bailey, (laughs) the new Lionel Messi. Ryan Bailey, the new (laughs) Lionel Messi, going to sign for Inter-Miami. That's the latest I heard. Uh, I thought this game also very fun, unless you're a Sevilla fan. Uh, But mostly I thought uh, Memphis, it turns out, was the missing ingredient at at, at Atleti. Uh, He comes in and he does Atleti things, which is to say score goals, picks up his teammates, demands the ball, and demands perfection on the ball. Uh, He gets the two goals in this one, but also a number of times makes those vertical runs. And when it doesn't come twice, it's like very much i think he's wide open and they don't hit it you can see the frustration and just the the expectation that that ball was coming, you can see how much he has already taken to Simeone Ball in the way that they play. The demands are there. The expectation of perfection is there. And he had close to a perfect game at Memphis Depay. I thought his runs were excellent. His goal scoring, certainly pretty impressive. Uh, that first goal, uh, it just showcased, again, how ruthless Atletico can be. Uh, for some reason this weekend, I'm obsessed with timing goals. And this one, uh, from the time Atleti win the ball back in their own half, it's nine seconds to it being in the back of the net. That's just the rapid fire way levels. that they can counterattack. it's mm. it's it was uh pretty breathtaking at times and th- that second goal from memphis he rifles it in from distance then you have Graysman do the exact same uh the was it the fourth goal that i'm baffled by graham is that the one yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about this thoughts. one if you could graham can you talk us through this one because i have questions
3: Okay, so Barrios is the player who produces the assist, and the ball is kind of cut back to him inside the box. He's kind of the on the on in the right channel inside the box. And then Yannick Carrasco is at the back post, unmarked. But for him to see Carrasco, his his, his line of sight is blocked by at least one uh, Sevilla player, might maybe even two Sevilla players. But then first time he plays this. It's either a mistimed mm-hmm. shot that he kind of scuffs or it's the best slide pass assist I've ever seen in my life. Taylor, w- uh, no, where are you falling on this I, one? Can
1: I jump in and say, I, I meant to say this is the assist I do in Rick Lee because ah. for my, for me, this was... Getting your foot in there and trying to get the ball in the mixer and it happened to fall perfectly to his uh, his uh, colleague, basically. I don't how think have he you saw managed
3: to make how have you managed to make this sound like something Burnley would do, getting it in the mixer, like this beautiful like that pass wasn't along calculate. the room.
1: He had to he wasn't he didn't have a good sight line there. He had it was a it was basically a tackle to get the ball into the mixer. So you're saying it? fluke. You're saying fluke.
3: They didn't mean it. See, that's my first instinct. But then when you watch the replays, when the ball leaves his foot, he instantly looks to Yannick Carrasco. He's not looking at the goal. I look when I pass the ball as well. No, I know what Graham means though. He does that sort
2: of like he hits it and then he does the hopping like, oh, get there, get there, get there. Like you can see him being very excited and then when it goes in you can see him turn and just do the like and so maybe there's an argument that was me doing the double fist bump bent over like yes I got the assist uh, and I could see that being deliberate but I could also see that being like yes I didn't make a laughing stock of myself by missing and like scuffing this shot I he doesn't look up when he approaches the ball but it might be that he sees it in the periphery I, I maybe he's just trying to get a foot to it I'm choosing to believe that he meant to hit this because it would be the best pass of the weekend uh, maybe maybe of the week so uh, for me I'm going to say he totally meant to do it Uh, and Ryan Bailey also totally meant to do it too Ryan if I give you credit will you give credit to
3: him
1: Uh, your your generosity knows no bounds Taylor that's (laughs) what I'll say
3: next time we play fives I want to see a pass like this from you Ryan Bailey okay at
1: least 20% of the time okay 2% yeah I I can handle 2% I think it's the best (laughs) I can do really.
2: I'm going to move this away from the Ryan Bailey chat back to this game to say it was really fun to see Memphis do Memphis things and remind me that, like, oh, right, it's not just the U.S. that he scores against. It's also other teams. Uh, Because... The combination of him and and Griezmann, it feels like they've played together for a very long time, even if this was what they only their like second game or something like that. Like they have not played uh, many minutes together, so that they they kind of find the rhythm they do and get the goals the way they do. And they looked as dominant as they did, with Simeone giving hugs to his grandchildren and his son after the game. It's all very very special this time of yeah. year.
3: Memphis has definitely given them a better balance because when you had Griezmann and Felix as the front two, they both kind of want to do the same sort of thing where they want lots of touches of the ball and, and there's no one really making those those vertical runs in behind and that's obviously what Memphis Memphis does. So I'm not necessarily saying that he's a better player than than Felix, but I think that swap in January um, has been a good one for Atleti. And of course, continues this trend of former Barcelona strikers going to Atletico Madrid and, and being very good after yeah. David Villa and Luis Suarez
1: indeed uh, Joe any more to add on this one it's uh, it just seems slightly out of character for Atleti to be banging in the goals like this uh, yay to them thumbs up let's just give
4: a thumbs up shall we thumbs up to them yeah who said they were allowed to score I thought that was was not their thing I'm very confused yeah. Ryan Someone was furious <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah his,
1: his uh, he's a uh, Mood was tempered by the hugs from the, the uh, grandchildren, Taylor. I just don't know <laughs> what happened there. Otherwise, the man team. after my heart. Yeah. Thank you for that. This is only his second start. Is
2: that what it is? It, it was it was Memphis' second start since he moved there? I knew there was a number two involved in this one. Possibly. There we are. There we are. Ha, I found my stats.
1: Good. Stats found. Break taking now. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit <laughs> about uh, Italy, and then we're going to talk about Major League Soccer, and then we're going to talk about Pies for another 20 minutes. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's quickly turn our attentions to Italy. Roma 1, Juve 0. Roma going fourth with some Champions League aspirations there. Ooh, get them. Inter in second place as well. 15 points behind Napoli. Not 18 points anymore. 15 points behind Napoli after a 2-0 home win over Lecce. But Graham, Napoli, nil, Lazio, yeah. one. Matthias Ficino getting the goal for Lazio in this one. Napoli's first home loss since April last year. They are fallible.
3: The title dream is over. No, not really. They're still 15 points ahead and they could uh, sleepwalk to the, the end of the season and I still think they'll win the Scudetto. Napoli fans uh, thumbs up this. to Napoli fans <laughs> are not
2: enjoying this from Graham.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, but is it? Well... Is that because uh, I think they should enjoy less the fact they've had like 15, 16 shirts this season. So I'm kind of split on my allegiance with Napoli. I like what they're doing in the league. I do not enjoy their shirts at all. So maybe this is me getting my own back for that. But Lazio were very good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, your shirts are bad. Take that. I mean, your team's really good, but your shirts are bad. That's what really matters. Um, Thumbs up to Maurizio Sarri and Lazio because it really did kind of feel like they figured Napoli out a little bit in this game. So Lazio are are kind of flying under the, ra- the radar a bit this this season. That's them up to third place now. Um, they're only two points behind Inter in second place, uh, and this was a very smart performance by them. So Sarri set uh, Lazio up in a compact 4-3-3, and basically the whole plan was to close up the space in between the lines where Cavaradona in particular likes to, to operate. And they stopped him from receiving any sort of service, they didn't allow Lozano any space. They clogged up the middle of the pitch. And while some teams will be able to do that, they may, they then might struggle to get out against a high-pressing press pressing Napoli team. But Lazio are a Maurizio Sarri side, yeah. uh, so they like having the ball. They are press-resistant, and they could, to a certain extent, play around Napoli. And we saw that in the build-up to the winning goal, which I know was a, a strike from a, a headed clearance from outside the box but before that Lazio had enjoyed a, a good spell of possession and that was kind of reflective of of periods in this match Lazio held their own in that respect so as I say Napoli have given themselves such a cushion I, I don't think they have much to worry about but I, I do wonder if we'll, we'll see more teams more opposition teams look at what Sarri and Lazio did in this game and at least try to copy that blueprint very nice and
1: Vecina's finished by the way something I do in Rickley, 20% of the time yeah. Graham <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, believe that. <laughs> uh, it was magnificent. It was one of those shots where you hit it into the ground, and then from that you get all sorts of swaz on the oh. ball, and there's an angle which is right behind it. And it's amazing to watch because I just don't know how a human is able to do that, where it hits it into the ground and then it kind of floats back. Do you know what I mean, Ryan? It yeah. kind of goes into the ground and then it's almost like... Gravity that shouldn't work that way, but it, it did work that way, and that was the winning goal for that. It's like
1: the, the slightly wet grass gives it the back it knees for swaz, uh, is the only way I can describe it. But it was very good. It was lovely. D. I'll go congratulate him, he probably lives in my neighborhood, um, <laughs> later on. Uh, PSG with a 4 2 win over Nantes, uh, Mbappe, Killian Mbappe, becoming the team's all time top scorer with 201 goals. Yay for PSG. Let's talk Major League Soccer. Joe, we had St. Louis's home debut. They have now won both their games in the Major League Soccer. A 3-1 win over, it's not important, um, <laughs> Enzo Capetti getting his first goal in the same week as his daughter was born for Charlotte in this wow. one, which was nice. But much nicer result for St. Louis here. Who? Um,
4: what do you make of the style to play, Joe? I really am enjoying watching this team right now. I thought we saw a few different things in this match than we did in week one against Austin. Week one, it looked to me like a truer 4-2-3-1 with a little bit of intent to actually play and and possess in moments. In this game, it was like full-on chaos ball, 4-2-2-2, Red Bull all the way, baby, kind of soccer. And it it worked well. I'm not going to say it worked really well because I don't know that they were miles better than Charlotte in this game. But they were the better team. They capitalized on mistakes well. They fought back from that 1-0 deficit. It was a nice headed finish from Capetti, who I thought looked a lot better in this match than he did in week one against the Revs for mm-hmm. Charlotte. Uh I, I really enjoyed a lot of what we saw from this team. Of course, with St. Louis, I mean, we gotta say, teams are literally handing them gifts right now. And I, I wrote about, I wrote, <laughs> about I wrote about this for backfield. I wrote about this for backfield. There are so many puns here, guys, available with Klaus for St. Louis and gifts. Um, I had one that I wrote down for backfield that I'm not like exceptionally proud of, but I did it anyway. Uh, There's so many different ways to go (laughs) with this. But in general, I thought St. Louis did well to take advantage of those moments, right? With how they play and how up tempo, how miserable it seems to be to play against already it seems that they're trying to put themselves in position to force those kinds of mistakes and to capitalize on them. Not that they're going to be able to continue to ride that wave throughout 2023, that's just not going to happen. But, I mean, they're they're probably not going to get an own goal and a free back pass in the same game very often this year, right after they got a free back pass in, in week one. But still, this team has been more competitive and more capable than I thought they would be. And their start to life in MLS, I think, has been better than probably anyone, even their fans, could have imagined.
3: Yeah. Klaus has arrived in MLS and just thinks this is the easiest yeah, league in yeah, the right. world where every single game he gets past a ball like 15 <laughs> yards out from goal to finish. I love nice it. Ridiculous. Finish, nice
1: chipped finish. It was. Maybe the was secret, say, Taylor, the secret to Sinois' success is you have your sporting director go do comms on Bundesliga games. That's it. <laughs> that, that's, no, Dortmund. That, that, that's That's what we told them.
2: That's all it is.
1: I don't know. I don't even know
2: which... Dortmund player that they would want because because you really do you want a Leipzig player to go play for your opponent don't you to go back to your earlier joke like we need opponents to just keep giving them opportunities it's a great finish from Klaus but man that's some uh, that's some excellent defending from
3: Charlotte's center backs for this game right I I enjoyed Taylor Twellman describing Klaus as like watching a deer get out of a car.
1: Yes, he said. <laughs> he said. He said he looks like he's forty-two years old, and yeah. he's like, which was massively insulting. And then he says it's it like was. a deer getting out of a car. Which <laughs> yeah. where did that image come from? Also, like the only thing
2: I can say is the only time I've ever seen that occur is in the movie Tommy Boy, and it goes famously very poorly and destro- destroys the entire vehicle. So, Klaus by comparison i would say is just like uh yeah. maybe maybe it's a very calm stoic statesmanly deer that that got out of uh, got I, out of the vehicle
3: <laughs> i imagine like klaus watching back he scored two goals in two yeah. games in an mls <laughs> he watches back the highlights so i wonder how they're describing yeah. me. you know maybe sort of like an mls latin or something like that he watches it back and the preeminent uh color commentator on mls season pass describes him as playing like a deer getting out of a car yeah
1: every now I and then i don't think it's a compliment
2: Every now and then, I know that there are things they say because they've been, uh, like, there have been wagers placed on, on them to say things. Stu Holden, I think, a, a couple times you'll hear him say a random thing, and it's like, someone bet him he couldn't say that on air. I feel like Twoman, <laughs> somebody bet. Talk about Tommy Boy. Make a Tommy Boy reference without making a Tommy Boy reference, and he did just that
1: when he talked about Klaus. So that explains all the QAnon references I heard in that game. oh. <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> okay. Sorry, I I went there. Joe, let's uh, steer back from that comment. LAFC 3, Portland 2. LAFC uh, picking up where they left off?
4: Yeah, I mean, really, that's the the story of this team right now. The last 30 minutes were mediocre. They give up two goals after being up 3-0, but they were dominant for the majority of this game. No really out-and-out number nine right now with Chicho Arango off in, in Mexico after they transferred him out before the season started. So they're kind of, you know, running a little bit freeform in the final third with with their different attackers. But I thought it worked fairly well in this game with Apoku and Vela and Bowanga up top. It's one of the most talented front threes in MLS. It's also one of the most free flowing, like I like I said there. So I thought that worked well for them in this game. You can see just how dangerous they are on the break. That's where the Really the the third goal comes from for LAFC that Apoco finishes, Apoku, excuse me, finishes off in the 52nd minute. Sifuentes wins the ball in midfield. They break forward with Sifuentes in the front three, just overwhelm Portland's uh, recovering defense and, and score a, a nice goal to finish that match off, essentially, even though there was still almost half the game left to be played. Ryan, this team is still really strong. I, I enjoyed Gareth Bale
3: getting his uh,
4: his championship
3: ring before the game. Like, oh, that guy forgot about in, him. In he civilian he clothes. Something. He didn't <laughs> even yeah. bother
1: putting the LSC yeah. stuff
3: on. I know, yeah. I know. And then I caused a bit of a stushie on Twitter by saying, "Do players really need uh, need championship rings?" And apparently, uh, American soccer fans, MLS fans, told me, "Yes, they they do." So, I guess I I don't even wear my red my my wedding rings. So uh, the the thought of wearing a championship ring to like dinner or something seems a bit strange to me. Yeah,
1: um, I there's an Orange County in USL got their championship rings from their uh, their championship when they won it, and I saw the reveal on on Twitter, and the box opens up, and the box itself had lights in it so it shined on the ring oh, wow. so That's cool. they've even
3: spent money That's on the cool. box yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i was kind of uh i was kind of owned as well in the replies by polanco christian polanco who t- tweeted me back with a picture of him with his yep. nycfc ring going what something like this <laughs> posing with it with his ring and i was like yes i will never get that close to one of those how, rings how did he get a ring
4: uh because he scored uh the winner of against Portland
3: Tim. yeah do you remember that
4: joe you remember that you yeah that i was there i mean he christian got to see the ronnie dallas strip in person i think yeah, he was down i think he know, held ronnie out. dallas clothes as yeah, he stripped exactly. off i think that's what happened exactly. fair
3: enough
1: okay all right uh joe, joe four teams in mls with 100 records at the moment seattle sounders among
4: them yeah seattle have been really good this year not doing my maybe other teams have caught up to seattle take any favor so far early on in this year they smashed colorado in week one and they beat rsl 2-0 in week two and have just looked dominant, really, for the vast majority of their 180 minutes so far. Now, grain of salt here. Nobody really wants to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Colorado and RSL don't seem to be very good. So beating bad teams is easier than beating good teams. So we should sort of pause and, and not anoint them just yet. But, I mean, they have they have been, hands down, I think, the best team in MLS so far this year. Philly, if they'd beaten Miami this year, would probably be in that category. This week, excuse me, would probably be in that category. But they lose 2-0, and now they have CCL to deal with as well. So... Seattle don't have to worry about that at the moment. They have been excellent so far this season. What about into Miami, Joe? They are also
1: um, 100% record at the moment with that aforementioned win over Philly.
4: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this team yet. I don't think they're in their final form. I think we're going to see them look a little different when Leo Campana, former Wolves striker, comes back into this team and they play with him and Joseph Martinez up top. I think we'll see a, a lot of that throughout this season. But they did get a really big win, Ryan, over the Union. I don't think they were really the better team in that game, which is why I still am hesitant to really like toss praise on them. But they beat Montreal in Week 1. They create a good number of chances in that match. They get a really important and impressive win over the Philadelphia Union in Week 2. A lot to like about what Miami have done so far this year. I'm just not all the way there on them being an elite team in the Eastern Conference. I think they're probably going to fall down a little bit. Still likely a playoff team, I think, with the talent they have, but just a little too early for me to anoint them as much more than that.
1: Good stuff. Any other uh, MLS action you wanted to turn our attention to, Joseph?
4: Yeah, the The last one really for me in this game is, is, is not really a specific game, but more so looking ahead to CCL. So we'll have five different MLS teams playing in the CONCACAF Champions League across Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I am very curious to see how some of these teams particularly austin with their lack of center backs at the moment how they deal with having an extra competition to play in this is still i think where we see the biggest gap between mls and other teams and capable leagues around the world is there's just the depth doesn't exist for a lot of these teams it's there for lafc it's probably there for the union it's maybe there for one or two other teams that are going down to ccl but i mean teams like austin when there's an injury or two they just don't Maybe have the quality. I think Austin will still get into the next round. I think they can take care of business in the round of 16, but just something that I'll have my eyes on how one, how these teams do in CCL, and two, you know, how that impacts the rest of their campaign
1: marvelous stuff taylor i see you making notes there or are you you writing poems Uh, anything you want to add
2: i'm just making notes for tomorrow's show because i have more mls questions i want to ask uh joe so i'm excited uh to do just that but i didn't want to break his 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 theme here i did want to ask joe so are you with me that uh dc united maybe are who we thought they were after this weekend
4: yeah, kind of, kind of <laughs> seems that way. That Toronto also maybe are who we thought they were after yeah. week one, and so beating the other team that we knew who they were is maybe not the biggest <laughs> positive sign.
2: <laughs> Woo! Mom. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Gold Taseraya though, uh, d- doing things, guys. It's it's awesome.
1: Awesome, <laughs> Graham. Anything more to add before we uh, let the uh, boys and girls go?
3: Just that St. Louis' stadium looked really good. So good. Uh, I would like to go to a game there. Um, one of my biggest frustrations with new stadiums and MLS is I'm sure like Audi Field is a good fan experience, but it looks dreadful on TV. St. Louis' stadium looks great on TV. They pack it in with loads of fans, the standing section behind the goal. It sounds really loud. So that might have jumped to the top of my list of uh, MLS stadiums I haven't visited so far.
1: Very good. I suppose as a Charlotte fan, they are our arch nemesis, Arch. St. Louis. Arch. Mm, very good. Very good. All right, that's time to oh, go, isn't it? Oh, because of the arch. <laughs> it's yeah, because yeah. Of, of the arch. Yeah. That, yeah, really that, that was really good. That Play on words. Yeah, thank you. Nice. Joe Lowry, thank you for that compliment, <laughs> and thank you for your uh, involvement in this here podcast. Right back at you, Ryan. This is fun. Graham Ruthman. pleasure is always good, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And it appears Taylor's feed has just dropped as we're doing our outro. (laughs) So I will say uh, from Taylor Rockwell, uh, thank you, goodbye, Man United suck. And listener, thank you for joining us on this here feed. We'll be back very shortly, but for now, bye!